I only studied worthless things in a capitalist market. Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschnow. This week, Sean, Chris, and I are discussing our recent experience of being deplatformed from Apple Podcasts and the disconcerting signs it raises for our increasingly capitalistic creative economy. Hey, Sean. Hey, Chris. Hello, hello. Hey, all. It's July. It's America Month. We get a whole month. America, fuck yeah. Coming again to say the motherfucking day, yeah. That was, that was enough that we won't get copyright struck. That was perfect. I'm just trying to get us deplatformed again. Yeah. At least if you do it in like a sexy, fun way, that's a great way to go, you know? Well, parody law will, would apply there. I think it applies here, too. So in the spirit of America Month, we're going to talk about propaganda, and we're going to talk about capitalism, and we're going to talk about America issues uh, this month. All the things that make America great. Right. All the things that make America, America. 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 But we wanted to start looking at an event that happened to this podcast recently that you may be aware of if you follow us individually on social media, or you might not know if you're just finding this podcast. We recently had the experience of being deplatformed by Apple, completely without warning, and for a while, seemingly without explanation. Just suddenly no appeal. This podcast was was just pulled from Apple Podcasts, sort of just suddenly and, and with a single email. We were only down for about a week. We are arguably lucky because we don't have that large of an audience yet. And the audience that we do have is largely outside of Apple Podcasts. But there is a, a section of our audience that does listen to Apple or uses podcatchers which reference Apple Podcasts. Like me, I couldn't listen to our own podcast because I use Overcast. And I also use Overcast, so I couldn't listen to the podcast that I had started. Unless I went to Spotify, which is a terrible experience for podcasts. Ooh. But it it was an enlightening experience, I think. At least for me, as as the sort of point person, when the podcast gets email, it usually comes through me. So I was also the one interfacing with Apple trying to get it sorted out. And it took a week and there was a there was a week that we were off of the largest podcast server um, in the country. Um, and so today we wanted to talk about that and, and we wanted to talk about our experience and the the sort of things that we learned from it um, and and maybe similar experiences that we've had that that are interconnected and then what that we think says about the evolution of the creator, I hate that term, but the creator experience in America. Hey guys, we're content creators. Can we put that on our, on our bylines? Isn't that so great? Anybody can be a content creator. I'm an artist. God damn it. <laughs> I make, I make art. You're an artist that creates content. That's new. Everything is content. I know. It's just like, <laughs> or a content creator who makes art. Mm. Oh. Which hat do I want to wear? I don't know. It's sort of like when the word aesthetic turned into like an object. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a thing that something can have instead of a, a concept, a descriptor, right? Right. Like, yeah. Or a concept, you know. Yeah. Which is how you talk about aesthetics, right? You talk about the aesthetics of art or the aesthetics, like things don't have aesthetics. Mm-hmm. A, a thing can have an aesthetic. Anyway, <laughs> we're getting we're getting caught up. I should have just gotten an English degree and, and been done with it. I would have been in the same place uh, professionally, probably. Yeah, uh, I have an English degree, so. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. We are nailing it. So yeah. you get an arts degree or an English degree, they're equally useless. They'll get you to nowhere. Yep. And then you can start a podcast that gets deplatformed for no reason. It's just, it's the dream. Do we think that this episode will get us deplatformed again? There's only one way to find out. (laughs) I mean, right, the last one was about censorship. Hmm. So maybe that's where we start. Because the weirdest part of this experience is that when when a thing like this happens, right? When you when you come up against a multinational conglomerate, you realize that you're not interacting with human beings, right? The whole thing is programmed to be like an experience where you are interacting with people, right? You get an email that is addressed to you and usually assigned by somebody. It quickly becomes apparent that you, that you are not actually interfacing with anyone. You are interfacing with this machine that has no interest in interacting with you. Mm-hmm. And so, 2.30 in the afternoon, I got an email that said, action required, show removed from Apple Podcasts. And the body of the email says, hello, we found an issue with your show, meaning what? As such, it's not available on Apple Podcasts. And there's a bullet point, and it says, the show is misleading to customers because it promises content that's not included. Learn more about our content guidelines. After you correct the issue in Apple Podcasts, resubmit your show for review if you need any assistance, contact us, the Apple Podcasts team. So this email came in the day that we published the episode about queer censorship and fine art. And so the immediate thought was that somebody had heard the episode and been terribly offended by the things that we had said in it and had reported it. And we had become victim of the whatever opaque, automatic, system decides what content is suitable and not suitable for the platform. So I reached out to Apple right away, replying to the email, said, hey, I host the show. What are we not giving our audience that that is misleading? What part what part of our show is misleading? Yeah. And then we uh we all kind of like I was at my day job. I think you guys are probably working too and we're all just like scrambling going through the content guidelines and thinking like, okay, could it have been this? Could it have been this? You know, there's like 10 different items within that subsection that was linked to you right? with zero clarity as to what specifically. Like, I, I had thought that it was because we kept telling people to pirate Metallica. Right. Uh, which apparently it's not. So you should uh, definitely pirate Metallica. Okay. Um, That is a political stance of this show. There will be a link to piratebay.org in the episode description. (laughs) (laughs) There will not be a link to piratebay.org, unfortunately. We'll just host it on our website. It'll be fine. Yeah, there you go. It'll be be a link in white on a white background. (laughs) (laughs) Look for it. It's there. Yeah, I I was at my desk. I you know, I work a 9 to 5 now. I'm one of the 
few people that is going into an office right now and and has been for the last six months. And so I'm at my desk at work trying to figure out why my podcast, which is my other job, got taken down. And like you said, Chris, the page that they linked to was just the the list of everything for the content guidelines. There was and and the the verbiage for the takedown notice was not really anywhere specifically in those content guidelines. I could I couldn't find anything. I think you found that pointed to Metallica, but like outside of that, there wasn't really any indication as to mm-hmm. what the hell they were talking about. Yeah, because we're really careful about what we publish to make sure that it fits these guidelines. Sean's podcast, Listen Now, which you should definitely be listening to, plays clips of songs, and we always make sure that these songs are of an appropriate length so that they don't violate any kind of fair usage. You know, that's just one instance of several where we have to make sure that we're, you you know, following these guidelines of all these different platforms so that we can continue to give everyone the kind of content that they expect from us, but also the kind of content that we want to present to the world. Right. And and we're doing this without, none of us are lawyers. None of us have money for retainers. So we record this in our homes over Zoom on our personal computers. Like, you know, there's no room to really mess with that stuff. If if we want this to be successful on any level, like that threat of running afoul of a platform like this is is very real and can have very lasting consequences. And we also know that we don't have the resources to really push back against it in any real way. And and like the end result that we ended up getting to it was like pretty wildly insignificant, right? It was essentially her you said that you're going to give exclusive subscription content, but you haven't. But their subscription rollout is garbage. Right. So that's the next step in the story is that over the course of about a week, I had exchanges with the help desk at Apple Podcasts where I interfaced with two different people, presumably. Um, there were two different names in the email signature. So after that initial email I sent, the response just restated that same reason that was in the initial email. It was almost word for word a restatement of that initial takedown. And the rejection reason that they list is misleading. That is the one word reason that they gave me. And so I had this back and forth with the Apple team saying, what is misleading? Like, can you point to what specifically got this pulled down so that I can fix it? and then resubmit and not waste everyone's time and not run afoul. And the fact that it was so hard to even get that answer, the what was misleading. I don't know if no one on the other end had access to that information or what, but it it took all week. So during this whole thing, we had been talking about using Apple's new subscription service to try and build up some revenue. This isn't free to do, right? We pay for hosting, we pay for Zoom. There is 60 or $70 a month that adds up just, you know, little bits and pieces across everywhere that it takes to run this. And then, like, we've all bought equipment and, and that sort of thing. And so for it to be sustainable, you have to find some ways to make some of that money back. And so we had been talking about using Apple's new podcast subscription service as maybe an avenue for that. And... I had gone ahead and started setting it up when they made it available. And during that time, Apple pushed back the 
rollout two or three times because it was a disaster. And it still is. It's a it's a fucking mess. Um, it's even worse on the back end. Nothing is clear. And especially if you are operating at the level that we're operating at, there's no information about anything. Um, so I'd set up this subscription preemptively. We didn't have any bonus content up there because there wasn't really a system to roll it out and we didn't know when that would be happening. And we had decided that we weren't going to roll it out anyway. So I was in the process of canceling all of that. And it turned out that the reason that our show got taken down was that we were listed for a subscription when this rolled out, but we didn't have any bonus content already uploaded for that subscription. So we were not making any money on the subscription service. That was not available to customers. No one could buy our product yet, but we were expected, apparently, and this was never made clear to me in in the entire process of signing up for it, but we were expected to already be providing a product to sell to a market that could not sell it for us. And because we were not doing that, they pulled the show, which is very weird because subscriptions on Apple podcasts happen at a channel level. They don't happen per individual show. And so it ended up that we had a channel on Apple podcasts, but we had no show because the channel subscription didn't offer anything. We get that answer. I had already canceled this, the whole subscription thing, so it was a non-issue. I hit sub- resubmit on the show for review, and they approved it instantly. I think I think it was our show was back up in five minutes, which suggests to me that nobody actually reviewed it. Right? Yeah. It was just, just like okay, fine. Right. Don't want to boil this down to A or B. Yeah. But it's almost like. <laughs> not participating in these arcane Byzantine rules for Apple to make more money is a bigger issue than them than being a white supremacist. Sean, are you referencing the fact that uh, Apple Podcasts still hosts Steve Bannon's podcast? Maybe on their I platform? am. Hmm. Now, um, I will say I am very happy that that's the reason why we got deplatformed because of all of our initial fears of it resulting from all of our content in June because it was really, really great stuff that unfortunately I wasn't able to take part of, but as a listener, I absolutely loved it. And I'm just really, really happy that it wasn't because we're too gay for Apple podcasts, you know? (laughs) It shouldn't be. Oh my God, Tim Apple, aren't you a gay yourself? Call me. I will find the prenup. And and what a thing that would be that that a podcast supposedly about fine art hosted by two straight white men and a queer person of color would be too gay for Apple Podcasts. But I I I'm totally there with you, Chris. Like for a minute, I was really worried, and it was because you know we had no information. There was there was literally no no way that we could have known why we were deplatformed, and it happened right like the day of publishing an episode. And so there there were these real real serious fears that like if that content is too hot for Apple at our level, like where where are we going to publish stuff? Or what's next? But wishing death upon gay people. No, no, that's cool. But talking about gay people being treated unfairly. Now you are stepping a line. So obviously it worked out. Right? We're back on the platform. We have been <laughs> for two or three episodes now when this came out. So problem solved. 
All right. Good night, everybody. Yep. But that week we pushed the episode out later. There was a drop in listenership. There are all of these things that start to come up of like, you know, we're, we are, we're building an audience and we, that audience has been growing month over month. Because of consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that, because of the broken world that we live in, is built on the fact that every Thursday at 7 a.m. Eastern time, 4 a.m. Western time, our episodes go out. And so that that is reliable and it and it works with all the machines and we don't get lost. And so when one episode ends up behind, you know, that all of our numbers drop precipitously. And because of the fucked up place that we live in, we have to worry about all those numbers. Also, just like wanting this thing to to be successful, part of that is playing this game. And so when you are removed from the game for no reason, no fault of your own, as far as you can tell, it's really scary, right? And there come up all of these questions of like, what effect does this actually have on us? Because we don't, there's no real way to tell. We can crunch a bunch of numbers and we can sort of guess, but there, there's there's only so much hard evidence. And what effect will this have on us in the long run? And and also, what effect does this have on us in the stupid algorithms that we don't have any way of seeing or understanding, but that we are relying upon yeah. for this thing to work? You know, how does this affect our ranking in Apple Podcasts? We have no idea. We're not privy to that information. Does it ruin your dad's Thursday? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's Probably. I mean, Mr. Mr. Hirschnell, we're we're sorry if you didn't get to listen to your son. He knew he knew the moment it happened. He, <laughs> there were there were exchanges about Mr. Tim Apple back and forth. If you uh if you're new to the show um, or you missed it, um go back and listen to the Blazing Saddles episode where my dad is on one of the biggest Blazing Saddles fans in the whole world made his day, but he is also um, this podcast's biggest fan. So if anybody notices something, it's dead. (laughs) We love you, Robert. So Tim Cook owes Robert Hirschnow an apology. But what else, what else comes out of this? Time to yell at the clouds or time to, to mm, discuss the systems that be and write. And then the scarier thing would be if we were like, maybe like our audience was 10 to 20 times our size and this became one of ours or all of our living was off of this podcast and mm-hmm. content creation and all that bullshit. And then we just got our knee destroyed. Yeah. It's like, um, I work in food service. It's like, you know, I work in a, in a busy coffee shop. It's like, if health inspector came in one day and was just like, Hey guys, you got to close down and then didn't disclose the reasons, you know, it's just like, Hey, you got to close because I said so. And then comes back a week later. It's like, Oh, my bad. You know, it's like, there's significant loss of revenue. And in that way, we're pretty fortunate that, you know, our livelihoods don't depend on this podcast being successful yet, but with your help, let's make it happen, baby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because we are victims of the capitalist content creation culture that... Uh, oh, nice alliteration. Thank you. I did study poetry. Triple, quadruple C. Because of the system that we find ourselves a part of, we have a Patreon now. So go over to patreon.com 
backslash meaning what pod. Give us money and help us get to that point where a event like this is truly terrifying. I'll give you a hug consensually if you sign up for Patreon. Or for an additional $10, it can be non-consensual. <laughs> if that's what you like. Yeah. yeah. Pastor King, yeah. you know, we'll make it happen. It'll just be a little bit extra. In either direction, just specify it yep. in time of billing. <laughs> Again, like for us in the moment, in the long term, who knows what the effects are. We are fortunate and that we are not that successful. But the reason that it is worth doing an entire episode about is not to be sort of, you know. Woe is us. Yeah, exactly. It, it's that it points to larger issues that every single creative person faces at the moment in this economy that, to be fair, people ahead of most of us have built, right? Mm-hmm. This, this economy that we are inheriting and, and the state of the world that, that we are taking in, which is quickly just turning into some sort of Mad Max hellscape. That's really what we're here to talk about today. Apple Podcasts is rolling out a subscription service. Um, it is the latest in a growing trend of pay-for content. I think Stitcher was one of the first platforms to really capitalize on this. Mm-hmm. Like, If you buy into our platform, you get access to podcasts that you you can't find anywhere else. Spotify is doing it to some extent, and, and, you, and you're seeing it pop up in various other places. And it's concerning because part of the beauty of podcasts, which began in part because of the iPod, which really made this sort of listening experience possible, right? You could plug a device into your computer and it could download the latest episodes from an RSS feed and you could get weekly content. Not something that was possible really before that. It grew out of that corner of the internet where everything is free, right? It is very much steeped in that sort of culture. One of the beautiful things about the internet is this free exchange of information and ideas, which is central to podcasting. It always has been. And it, and it's part of the appeal for people to make podcasts too, I think. It it doesn't take that much money to get in on the ground. You need a microphone and you need some device to plug that microphone into that records and then a computer to put it all together and pretty much anybody can do it, right? Yep. And what we're seeing now is you might be picking up on a theme from this podcast Big money is entering into this small person marketplace, and it is having real, already measurable effects on what that experience is like. There's this idea of the short head and the long tail, where you know you have the short head, which is like the WalMarts of the world, and the long tail being the small independent stores, industries, or people who are p- comprised the long tail wind up having more lasting power so long as people get behind them. But at the same time, what happens is that you have the entities that control the short head finding ways to capitalize on the success of the tail. This is evidenced with Spotify. And you know, before that, there was pure volume and all these other things that allowed people to find these smaller artists but with these large companies kind of maintaining a bulk of the success of those endeavors. And with the perpetuation of the subscription as a service model or SAAS, 
we're finding that more and more often these larger companies are finding ways to manipulate the consumer into giving them even more of their money to have access and to be able to support small artists that they want to support directly. Exactly. And part of it also is the onslaught of people who now have a podcast and you're, who are just celebrities, you know, and whatever loose term you want to use the celebrities, the whole spectrum of them all have a podcast now, I guess, because, you know, they couldn't get paid to go to a vacation somewhere. So they just put a microphone in front of themselves to talk about themselves and their other rich, famous friends. Right. It, that is not a new thing. The celebrities jumping in, right? And 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 when something becomes fashionable, the people with money can do it better. Yep. Right? With less work for themselves, too. Boom. Right, right. You can pay somebody to edit it for yeah. you instead of... You can hire a consultant. You can... Someone can feed right. you lines. You don't even have to, like, think. That's be nice. Yeah. Right. And, and if you already have a brand, right? If you are a Kardashian and your name has capital just having your name on something is enough to make it so, at least some level of successful right you don't even have to make good content at least for a little while uh, i don't know if the kardashians have a podcast or not i don't think so and i ho- really hope you didn't summon them with that because well it, it if it hasn't happened yet it will happen soon and when it does you can blame mason right yeah you can direct all hate mail to meaningwhatpod at gmail.com get in line subject line Fuck you for speaking a Kardashian podcast into existence. And we will read those emails on air and dox you. (laughs) There is a podcast about the show, the the reality show of their lives. But the Kardashians themselves have not done a podcast yet. Oh, fuck. Kardashian, Kim Kardashian Westland's podcast deal with Spotify. Oh, good lord. Yeah, see, told you. Once again, all hate mail can be directed to meaningwhatpod at gmail.com. We will read your full name and email address on air. And if we can find it, we'll get your IP address too. Hate, listen to us. Do it. You can do it. I love you. (laughs) You'd be surprised how much personal information you can find on like yellow pages. Oh, yeah. A simple Google search. Yeah. The tools of the right. If you'd like for us to not dox you, we have a Patreon. (laughs) Patreon. For $3 a month, you get our guarantee that we will not dox you on purpose. You can hate mail send it all you want, baby. (laughs) That's how this works, right? Right. No, we were basically therapists at that point. (laughs) I don't think I have complaints. I mean, that would be a great, you know, speaking of subscription services, like, all right, for $40 a month, you can just (laughs) send hate mail to us. And that's it. That's what I imagine those um, therapy apps that are being advertised on podcasts. Now, oh, I imagine yeah. that that's basically the, <laughs> at least half of the experience of the people working oh, on those, Could right? you imagine being a therapist and doing that? Just like somebody texting you in all capital letters? Fuck you! <laughs> all right. I went to school for however many years it takes to become a therapist. And I am sitting in front of a computer all day having angry, disembodied text messages <laughs> sent to me. I have to think at least a master's. So, you know, at least five to six years of school. <laughs> right. It, well, it depends on on what your specialization is and 
Because I think you can be a counselor with just a bachelor's degree. Yeah. But I don't I mean, remember. Alternatively, you can just get a bachelor's and then go work in specialty coffee. And then people will just yell at you and you save yourself a whole lot of money and a whole lot of schooling. That's right. Right. And as a, a former barista myself, I can confirm that we are there to be abused. That is yep. by you, by our employer, by our suppliers. That's why we exist. Anyway, we're we're way off the rails. Um, Are we though? So I think about the subscription as service idea in relationship to Adobe software. Mm-hmm. For me, that was the first place that I ran into it in a way that is not avoidable. And I, I'm sure that at least a couple people listening can relate. But a little bit of personal history here. In 2009, when I started my undergrad in photography, I bought the CS4 suite for less than $600. And I was with a student discount, and I got Illustrator, InDesign, Photoshop, Bridge, and Adobe Acrobat 9. And that was what I needed. You know, CS5 came out, didn't really care. CS6 came out, and I was like, oh, that's got some stuff in it that I want. But it was fine. And, and I used Acrobat 9 because it was the superior Acrobat all the way through grad school until Adobe told me that I was not allowed to use the software that I had bought anymore because they removed its availability. But by the time that I got to grad school, Creative Cloud was a thing. And so instead of paying, let's say, $600 to use that software for when it ended up being about five years, I now get to pay, I now get to pay $380 for the discount that I just got to use that software for one year. Regular price, that's about that $600 for for one year. Mm -hmm. Or you can spend... $60 $60 a month or use the the $10 plan that I used and just get Photoshop and Lightroom. That's fucking insane, right? Anybody who uses Adobe programs knows that they are objectively terrible. They don't work. They don't run. They are some of the most unstable software that is developed by a major corporation. They're based in San Jose, so that is going against them too. <laughs> I walked past that building... Every day that I rode the train to grad school and just... Did you take some extra time to flip it off? <laughs> I just walk real slow and think about how miserable everybody in there must be. Yeah. Thinking that they're doing a good just thing for Stare daggers at it for a little bit. But it's like, at the same time, considering how bad Adobe products can be and considering how bad that subscription model is, in your line of work, you have to use their products. Right. It's very much like if you want to connect to the internet in the United States, you have to go through AT&T, Comcast, or some other equally terrible communications company who may just be a company that is owned by AT&T or Comcast. And there's no way around it. Right. And they fucking know yeah. it. Yeah. If you want a cell phone. It's the same thing, right? And it is a system that they have built. People can say, oh, well, if you don't want to use Photoshop, you know, use GIMP or use Affinity 
by Seraph or use any of these other programs. And yes, you can get away with it a little bit. I have the Affinity programs. They're great for certain things. Publisher is surprisingly good um, just because I don't end up screaming at it like I do with InDesign. But I've been using Photoshop since I was 12. Oh. Like I taught myself how to use it and and I've been using it. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Chris, if you work in the creative industry, like you need to at least know how to use that. Yeah. Most people are going to be using it. There is no good alternative to Lightroom. No, absolutely not. And Lightroom sucks. Lightroom, like Lightroom is, I put off using Lightroom. I was using an esoteric combination of Adobe Bridge and Photoshop. I think I'm the only person on the planet that uses Adobe Bridge. And I am so scared that they're going to take it away from me at some point. But I was using that just to not use Lightroom. And now I'm using Lightroom because everyone who does photography professionally generally uses Lightroom. Yeah. And if you teach it, you have to teach it. So it doesn't matter if you want to do that workaround anyway. You at least have to be compatible with those programs, right? Yeah. Especially if you want to collaborate with people. Sean, is there any kind of comparable analog for some of this stuff in the music world that you're aware of? Like, the only thing I can really think of is Spotify. I can't, I can't imagine how hard of a time Post 65 would have getting their music out to the wider world if they didn't take part in putting their music on Spotify. Right. They're, they're in the, on the consumption end, it's Spotify versus Apple Music versus all of them versus Bandcamp, right? Where, you know, you get a better portion of the funds, and, but you can't stream it. I don't know. I don't understand how Bandcamp works completely because, like, it's seemingly you can stream it at least a couple of times, the band songs, before, you know, you're compelled to buy. But obviously, like, that's the indie best platform for it. Mm -hmm. um, on the music creation end, like online software to write music because if you write composed through music there's no way you're gonna fucking hand write it like mozart let's be fucking real <laughs> i once had a music class where they literally said you have to hand write it which is figuring out the whole fucking thing and then writing each part and then an overall score and i was just like Ugh. oh i did that in a class once it was one of the most miserable experiences i've ever had and I have to worry about counterpoint. <laughs> if Sibelius or um, MuseScore, which is the cheaper version, they're both expensive, but like I don't think there's very many options there. And I think more than anything, it all boils down to there's these monopolies in all of this. And because they're all in a competition to abuse us as fast as possible, yeah, we lose, they all win. Right. I mean, on the end of the digital audio workstation, the DAW. You can get Audacity, and I use Audacity for some things, but you're going to have Audacity crash and lose everything at some point. And it's a pain in the ass in a lot of ways. So you you can either go for Adobe Audition, right? Or you can buy Logic, or you can get whatever PreSonus's system is. All of those systems cost a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. I use Logic in part because I use Apple products and and it is easiest for me, but also because I was a student and so I got a really good deal on it, right? Yeah. If I didn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. The same thing everywhere. Right. And the, my one other contribution, remember when Tidal was a thing and they... Oh, yeah. And it was 
artist owned. I'm trying to find. I just distinctly remember when I eventually found out like the percentage they were giving you, it was not that much better than Spotify, despite all their talk of artist community. They he like Jay-Z pulled together like everyone and said, pull all your music off Spotify. We're about to make money for ourselves. Thank you very much. This round table of billionaires. Point zero zero seven cents per play something like that i think so uh based on this next shark article that i pulled up Uh that doesn't sound like it'd be a a, as a english major and somebody with a journalism degree that doesn't sound like a a viable source but i'll take it for what it's worth it's like buzzfeed just for asian producer hive (laughs) says uh 0.0125 per stream and what a Spotify, like 0.0001 or something. Right. I mean, this is a perfect example that like you have to go digging for that information to begin with, right? They're not going to be forthcoming with it because it is not beneficial for them if everyone knows how little money they're paying. And to be fair, like record companies used to do the same thing, right? You would you'd sign a record contract and you'd get 10 cents per CD. Right. Yep. Which is why you had to sell millions of copies if you wanted to be a successful artist. Yep. You know, so six people became successful. And part of the problem with title is that, like, yeah, it was artist owned, but it was, you know, Jay Z and Jack White and Beyonce, et cetera. Names like that who were, who owned it. So, yeah, they were artists. Right. Yeah. Third Man is a independent record label who uses Warner Brothers to publish everything and has, private access to a vinyl presser, right? Like, so they, they are not us, right? <laughs> they are not the top 50% of everyone below them, right? Like it's, it's an entirely different sphere. And so that just turns into marketing. Ooh, fast forward to 2017 and Spotify artist payout average was down to $0.00397 cents. Per stream. So there's a lot of zeros. <laughs> so how many streams do you need to get one cent? Uh, it looks like three streams to get one penny. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And so it kind of puts into perspective, you know, like, I, I think about, you know, people are like, oh, my record went platinum. It's like, cool. So you made $12, you know? Right. Yeah. But also that's another reason why... Whenever I first moved out to California, I was really stoked because in Sacramento, we are about, you know, two hours away from San Francisco and Oakland, which meant that I got to see some of my favorite artists live in concert. And I got to support them that way through paying for tickets, buying their merch and, you know, and of course, just seeing them live was a great experience, something I didn't have in middle of the sticks, Mississippi. So but there's less and less opportunities to support artists directly these days as we have such a drastically changing landscape where the subscription as a service model and other comparable models kind of take over things, you know, like it's hard to find a concert ticket without having to go through fucking Ticketmaster, Right. You know, and it's the same thing everywhere else, you know, as a podcast, we have to bow to the whims of Tim Apple. And there's analogous things in 
almost every other creative industry I can think of where you have to exist within this corporate shell that is actively working to prevent you from being successful. Right. At the heart of this, you can't expect Spotify to pay every individual that puts music up there minimum wage, let's say. Like, that that's not possible, right? But if you think about how much money Spotify makes every year in the billions in profit, right? That is after paying their costs of running the business, right? Like, like they, they are making an incredible amount of profit. Adobe is doing the same thing. Apple is obviously doing the same thing. It raises that question of where's that money going and why can't that money go to the creators? Well, we need to offer this service, right? Okay, well, then how much does uh, Mr. Tim Apple get paid? Oh, well, don't worry about that. That, you know, it, he is he is one of the most successful CEOs in, in history. Like, like, he deserves that money. But does he really, right? Like, what does Tim Cook actually make, right? He earns a base salary of $3 million in 2020. Doing what? Things. Business. Planning. He gives a keynote speech and, you know, and generally running the company and showing up in court when Apple gets sued. Being gay. No, he made a $10,731,000 in incentives awarded for performance. What performance is right. <laughs> I give myself check. I did yeah, good. Like the, the board of directors is like, hey, Tim, did you cause this pandemic? Because our sales are through the roof. Here's, a, here's $10 million. <laughs> Thanks, baby. <laughs> Keep doing your thing. We'll see you next pandemic. Okay. Right. It's like when you look at the salaries of the, I don't know, let's say the presidents of the California state universities, public universities that were originally founded to provide accessible education to every Californian. In the old days, you could go there for free. And as California residents, part of our tax bill goes to paying for the CSUs to stay open, right? Now, it costs a lot of money to run a college, but None of the presidents make less than $400,000 no. a year. And that is just their salary. Most of them make more than that, right? Most of them make above half a million dollars. And that's just their salary. They're also earning benefits, money from speaking, and they get paid money for various functions at the school, and they get free tax house, breaks free that car. We're not, yeah. And they have access to pensions that we cannot even conceive of. It's the same sort of thing, right? And a lot of that money is coming from the people who are going to these schools, for the most part, especially in the CSU system, people who are going to schools because they're not going to get into Yale, right? They're not going to get into Harvard, or they don't want to go there. And they want to go to school somewhere near home, or they want to study particularly the arts or humanities. Or they can't afford to go to a UC. Right. So they're going to go to a CSU because it's cheaper, but you know they're going to be paying hand over fist to pay for amenities that they are never going to use and to pay those salaries. It's the same sort of system. All of this loops back into an issue that I don't think can be ignored, which is the appeal of subscription systems for the regular everyday individual, it is a lot to ask somebody to purchase concert tickets 
every opportunity that they have, right? Or even to ask them to subscribe to a Patreon, patreon.com backslash meaning what pod for one individual, right? Or, or one project. Yeah. You know, $5 for a subscription, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah. As somebody who, until I turned 30, had never made a meaningful amount above the minimum wage, like, that's an impossible amount of money. Like, there are there are so many things that I would love to support, even now, mm-hmm. right? Now that I am making what is considered a livable wage, right, at $24 an hour, I can't. I can't afford to to support all the artists that I care about, and I can't afford to to buy art at every opportunity. I mm-hmm. do whenever I can. These subscription programs, right? Like it is way more affordable to pay Spotify ten dollars a month and have access to all of my music than it is to purchase an album on vinyl every time that something comes out that I care about, right? Or that I'm even interested in listening yeah. to. And it's a lot easier to pay Adobe ten bucks a month for programs that I know that that I can use that will be compatible with everything than it is to spend a bunch of money finding other programs that'll work, yep. right? And so all of this gets wrapped up in the issue that we don't pay people enough to begin with, right? Like, like we are all trapped in this situation where we have to use these services and these services are killing the things that we love, yeah. right? It turns into the zero-sum game where for people who are making genuinely good stuff, they have to reach a level of capital that they can't get access to when they are competing against a Kardashian or against the Obamas on Spotify. Yes, better example. Yeah. Right. And so how how do you even begin to address that? How do you even how do you even ask people to support things that they care about with money that they probably especially right now don't even have you know like like that is the issue that that we run into how do we continue making things that we care about and how do we allow creators fuck it how do we allow artists people who actually are doing art because that is what they care about how do we allow them to continue to survive when our entire world is built on the system that that requires us to focus all of our time and energy on the affordable things that only benefit the people who are already benefited. There's no answer to that, right? And then it becomes the things that are allowed to succeed or allowed to become to succeed inevitably fit in these SAS, as I like to say. Um, this is the ideas of what is acceptable. And thereby the are censoring it with the extra special special of grinding wheels under capitalism. Like all these subscription things, I think warp a consumer's sense of like what it takes for the end product to get to you. Like mm-hmm. Netflix costs somewhere between $9 to $18 a month for you to have access to, to more content than you could ever perceive. But like, the cost of soup to nuts of a movie is inconceivable. And, but you have like, you're not attached to that reality at all. And so like one of the few things that I feel like a human day to day has any sense of attachment to reality of that is like food and like rent. But that's only because that's like physical. I'm sure if these tech startups could find a way to 
digitally feed us. Oh, fuck, I didn't say that out loud. But, I, you know, if they could, they would, and they'd charge us $20 a month, and we get a goop bat in the middle of our steak Salisbury dinner. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Amazon Fresh. <laughs> I'm sub-sponsored by Goop. It smells like your vagina. I mean, Facebook is putting ads into uh, VR. They're experimenting with Seriously? it. Seriously? So, oh. Yeah. <sighs> the other tempting thing, which you hear if you go to art school, is, oh, well, if you really care about it, you'll just do it, right? If you really want to make art, you'll just make art. Well, it costs money to make art, yeah, right? And it costs money to make art that survives. It costs money to make art that anybody will look at, right? Materials cost money. And it costs money to learn how to use those materials. And even if you are not paying for school, like it, it costs time too, right? Yeah. You have to have the free time, which you don't have if you're working two or three jobs. You don't have if you're working one job full time. If you, if you are working 40 hours a week, you get two days off to do laundry. Like, Mama, I can't care about my art if I'm dead. <laughs> so, right. So, if we are all locked in this rat race, that is an obvious, serious problem, right? You can't end up escaping it, and 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 you will just pay for the things that are easiest to access because, fuck, you need, you know, at the end of the day, you you need to be able to go home and watch Loki or whatever the fuck, right? Like. Just to just to unwind, you want to be able to watch Netflix or you to watch The Office for the eight millionth time, even though it has no content. You need to have access to those things, and so you will you will purchase it at, at whatever level you are able to. The other issue that comes up is that we are part of a generation who watched the internet take shape in real time, mm -hmm. ah. right? And so, especially older millennials, remember when that wasn't a thing, like you couldn't stream videos on the web, right? And and like there wasn't this constant access to things in the same yeah. way. For the record, how old is everybody? I'm I'll be am I 35 or am I 36? I'll be 36 this year. I turned 31 this year. Turned 27. Oh, such a baby. Oh. Such a little baby. So you don't know what the old men are talking about. You I don't remember dial-up. I was 5 when dial-up was a thing. My aunt had a dial-up computer it was very noisy i i remember when we bought a second landline so that my mom could use the telephone while my dad was on the internet Ooh. you know like that that was fancy like that was a big deal and my dad worked for packard bell which was a big computer company in 1995 Ooh. you know so it's like, now a part of at&t do they still exist even i don't probably not probably not i remember they were purchased from at by at&t anyway um in Pirates of the Crystal Void, did you use some modem sound effects? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Apple Loops, uh, because I use Logic, I have access to all Apple's Loops. There's a really excellent um, computer noise that is just like a weird ambient um, dial tone and then modem noises. And so I chopped that up in a couple places, but cool. I, I fell in love with it. We are facing a generation who, and and this is not to like, you know, shit on Zoomers or whatever. Back in my day. Right. I don't care. But there is a world now where people have never known any other way than this world where things on the internet are free, right? 
Like you have access to everything. You can find it for free. And so you shouldn't have to pay for things that entertain you. Mm -hmm. And you can make like a weird libertarian argument for that. Whatever. That's not how the world works. That's not how capitalism works. That's not even how socialism works. But that can't be ignored, right? There, There is a culture, especially among young people, that you should be able to consume entertainment for free. And of course, nothing is free. You're paying for that with your identity or your information. So we're up against that, right? Mm-hmm. And we're up against this split of attention, both just actual human attention and also financial attention, which we touched on. Mm-hmm. And we're up against this Gilded Age style of monopolization that is, I would argue, the most concrete example of history repeating itself that I have seen in my lifetime. But instead of Standard Oil and American Steel, it is tech. It's our music and it's our computers and it's our social networks and the internet and media where it is controlled by one of a handful of companies. That is a very real and very scary issue too. Apple is the perfect example of this. I'm a big fan of Apple products. I love the OS system almost as much as I hate Windows. (laughs) (laughs) We can do an entire episode about how much I hate Microsoft, but I like using Apple products. I don't like paying for them, but I believe that part of that price is going to the fact that I am paying for Apple to not have to sell my information, right? Which is part of why Android is so cheap, right? You are giving all your information over to Google when you sign up for Google stuff. And so they can charge you less because they're making money off of that advertising. Presumably Apple doesn't do that. We don't know because they are not open and they don't have to be. So I am bought into the Apple ecosystem and and willingly so. I enjoy their products. I don't enjoy their subscription services, but I enjoy their software. I enjoy their operating systems and I enjoy most of their hardware when they don't design a mouse that has the charging plug on the bottom of it, right? (laughs) All of that forward. I think that we can live in a world where that can be true, right? Like Apple can build good products. Apple can build a smartphone that is relatively easy to use, that is safe and that functions in predictable ways without having to build a system where they are judge, jury, and executioner. We don't we don't have to live in this world. And we don't have to live in a world where if you don't want to work in an office, you get paid next to nothing and all of that money goes to paying somebody who's making a profit off of your ability to live underneath a roof. Like, these are things that we had started to solve during the Great Depression, right? These are things that we had for white people solved to some extent by the 1950s. These are issues that can be solved. No system is perfect, but nowhere do we have these these same issues like we do here. We don't have to spend all of our money on healthcare, right? We don't GoFundMe does not have to be a thing, but we continue to choose a system where where it is, right? Mm-hmm. And we continue to choose a system where a small number of companies can take all of our money and present us with a false choice that if I don't choose Apple Music, 
And I, I instead choose Google Music, that I am somehow beating the system. I'm not, because they're going to pay the same lawyers and the, the same lobbyists to fight the same laws that are trying to break up these same monopolies that we saw in the 19th century that almost destroyed our economy then. And I think all of this is to say, like, if you haven't turned the podcast off at this point for my ramblings, you probably agree with me to some extent, or you are hate listening. And either way, that's money in in our pockets. So keep it up. Thanks, baby. We love you. Everybody's got their kink. But if you want evidence of this happening, just think about where all of your money goes every month and think about how little of it the people who actually make the things that you care about get it. If you need some context, think about like where that money's going every month and then think about how little choice you have over that. Think about how few options you have because that's what it comes down to. There's no way out of the system unless they let us out of it. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?